0: Our scripture today is taken from Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Revelation three twenty, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Welcome our visitors today, especially. Glad that you're here with us. Title of the message this morning, Your Invitation. And I just love the fact that Nona takes consideration for, uh, you know, the topic and does a great uh, children's story. That was wonderful. Appreciate the special music as well. Have you ever been invited to um, a great feast or a really large wedding reception? Anybody? Um, Growing up in a large Italian family, that uh, has happened a few times. Big wedding receptions, big feasts, even at funerals. You know, we would have uh, a funeral and then we would take over a restaurant. And uh, big feasts, you know, some of these wedding receptions would have five, six courses. They would go on all day and into the night. uh, Lots of, you know, impressive um, table settings and very great expense that went into these uh, wedding feasts. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to have a a quick prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that we are free um, today to open your word, that we can come together in your house and read scripture and not be afraid that we will be persecuted or harmed in any way. Uh, We don't take that freedom for granted. We thank you for it. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Luke uh, chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 16. And then said Jesus unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. When the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those which were bidden shall taste my supper. You know, at the time uh, and the location where Jesus said this, uh, said this parable, a feast like this would last several days, several days. And if you look at verse 16, uh, where Jesus says, a certain man made a supper and bade many, that is referring to the first gospel invitation. And if you go on, uh, there in verse 17, you see a reminder uh, to the people about the previous invitation. See, the invitation allows time for a person to prepare for their attendance. And they had previously agreed, yes, I'm coming. I, I will come. And in verse 18, you, you can almost see a conspiracy uh, against the man who's calling the supper because they all began to make excuse. No one accepted the invitation. None of, them was, none of those excuses were acceptable, were they? I mean, if you look at them, uh, can you think of a valid reason for us to reject or refuse the gospel invitation? Is there anything on earth that would trump that or supersede that or make uh, rejection of the gospel invitation adequate? No, of course not. So, these excuses that were made, they reveal something about the individuals, um, you know, they valued the temporal, worldly things more than the eternal, right? And what were some of the excuses? I bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go and prove them? That could be done on Monday or whenever, right? And uh, I have married a wife, therefore I can't come. That's it's kind of ridiculous as well. Um, I bought a piece of ground, and I have to go and see it? So these are lame excuses, really, um, And I think when Jesus tells this parable, that's intentional. He wants you to see that there's no excuse, no valid reason. Um, But they recognize the individuals would have to set those things aside to accept the gospel invitation. So think about when you, if you have accepted the gospel invitation, what did you have to set aside? Did you have to turn your back on maybe a career path or a loved one that was totally against what you were doing. And for everyone, it's probably a little different, but they recognize, Hey, I'm going to have to set this aside. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. And the excuses show a lack of appreciation for the gracious one or the gracious offer that was given. And so it also reveals that a person places more value on the world than on the eternal. And you know, a refusal in Oriental times, in Jesus' time, a refusal like this was considered an act of hostility and a rejection of friendship. You're rejecting their friendship. You know, we do it very easily. Oh, yeah, I'm just not going to, I can't make it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll excuse ourselves from many things even after we've said we've, we're going to come, we're, we're, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then we just don't come. And then when we see them, say, hey, sorry, I didn't make it. But in ancient times, that was an act of hostility. You had said, I'm going to be there. And then you give a flimsy excuse and you don't show up. And there's more to that. You know, those folks that uh, were invited said yes. Then there was a reminder, hey, you know, the feast is coming. The host planned on them being there, made preparations for them to be there, and there was great expense. Are, are you making a connection to um, something that applies to us? This parable, obviously, we want to make it practical. and We want it to, uh, we want it to apply to our lives. In verse 21... So the servant came, showed his Lord these things, Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. I've made preparation, and these people have rejected the invitation, and his great expense. What was the great expense in the gospel? Christ, right, exactly. His, his suffering and his, his poor life, his suffering, his death, all of that. Um, considerable. Expense. So what does it do to God's heart when we reject him or reject the gospel invitation? Because, you know, the gospel invitation isn't something that happens only once. You realize that, right? Every day we have to say yes to Christ. Yes to his righteousness by faith. And I just I love that children's story, you know because it fits with the scripture reading. You know Jesus is in that children's story and in that verse there in revelation three twenty it is your invitation. Behold, I stand at the at the door and knock. If you'll open the door and let me in, I will come in and sup with you and that word sup it's in in Jesus' day to have a meal with someone was a very intimate thing to do. It was a wonderful thing to get that invitation. Oh, can we? Can you come? We'll have a meal together. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting there in Revelation 3.20. And so he's inviting us in that scripture. And obviously he wants us to learn lessons in this parable and another parable that we're going to look at. It's a gracious invitation, great cost. What does it do to the Lord's heart when we reject the gospel invitation. So we see uh, historically that the gospel was rejected by the Jewish nation, especially the Jewish leaders. And then it goes to the lower class, like me, uh, the Gentiles, and, and it says, um, Bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. We're really getting low now on the totem pole, right? Because in Jesus' day those the, the Jews looked down upon those people. Oh, they're poor. They're look, he's crippled. He must have done something. God is angry with him and has cursed him. Oh, he's blind. Oh, he sinned. His parents must have sinned. Some so they had this wrong understanding of of humanity and how God's grace was and his character. And so now it goes out. It goes to the Gentiles. It goes out to people like you and me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. I encourage you to open a Bible. There's some there in the pews if you don't have one with you. Matthew 22. And we'll begin in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they what? They would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. When the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Verse 11, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So we see a first calling, uh, the Old Testament invitation to the Jews by the prophets. We see a second calling where John the Baptist begins his ministry and then turns it over to Jesus, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He turns it over to him. He must increase, I must decrease. And then after the crucifixion, it goes to the Gentiles, right? through the disciples. A.D. 34. So if you look at verse 5 there in chapter uh, 22, again... Those that were bidden to come, they made light of it. They went their ways, worldly concerns, one to his farm, another to his merchandise or to his store, whatever you want to call it. And then verse 6, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now that's not talking about God's remnant in the last days. It's It's just talking about the rest. And this is talking about how the prophets were treated. Verse 7, when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, destroyed those murders, and burned up their city. A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. So we make a historical application first, and then we look at the application for us, the antitype for our day today. And so in verse 9, it goes to the Gentiles, A.D. 34, go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye find... Bid to the marriage. Goes out to everybody. Then verse uh, 11 is very interesting because it's speaking of the investigative judgment. It says, and when the king came in to see the guests. So the invitation goes out and then the guests come in. And then Jesus, in verse 11, he says, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? He was speechless. So this is the investigative judgment. We claim to be Christians. There is an examination going on. Is that true? Are you, am I really a Christian? Am I following Jesus fully? Am I trusting in his righteousness as my own by faith? Am I allowing him to cleanse my heart, to change me? And, and if that is true, then you get the, the righteous garments of Jesus, the wedding garments. Ellen White said this, Christ Object Lessons, uh, page 309 and 310. When the king came in to view the guests, the real character of all was revealed. Now, we can hide our character from our friends, maybe some of our family members, Church, people, we can hide our, our true character from them. Can not put on a good look. Um, but this uh, investigative judgment looks at the real character, and all is revealed. For every guest at the feast there had been provided a wedding garment. Do you understand that? See, Jesus doesn't ask you to come into his kingdom without providing you what you need To be there. And his life, death, resurrection, and intercession provide that. The work, and remember for five weeks we we went over the sanctuary. Remember his work in the most holy place is that final character work. The blotting out of sin. And so she goes on, she says, This garment was a gift from the king. I can't make myself righteous It's like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They sin and they try to make coverings and they make little aprons. God wants you to have a garment, a righteous garment. So she goes on, she goes, By wearing it, the guests showed their respect for the giver of the feast. But one man was clothed clothed in his common citizen dress. He had refused to make the preparation required by the king. The garment provided for him at great cost he disdained to wear thus he insulted his lord so he was self-condemned you know uh, jesus said in come into the world to condemn the world but that the world would be saved right through him when a person is lost they have self-condemned they've done it themselves they've refused the gift the righteous garments of Jesus. They've refused them. By the king's examination of the guests at the feast is represented a work of judgment. The guests at the gospel feast are those who profess to serve God, those whose names are written in the book of life. But not all who profess to be Christians are true disciples. Before the final reward is given, it must be decided who are fitted to share the inheritance of the righteous. This decision must be made prior to the second coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven. For when he comes, his reward is with him. To give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation twenty two twelve. Before his coming, then the character of every man's work will have been determined, and to everyone... Of Christ's followers, the reward will have been apportioned according to his deeds. By his perfect obedience, he has made it possible, don't miss this, for every human being to obey God's commandments. Thank you, Ralph. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed in the garments of his righteousness. See, none of that takes place without faith. It truly is righteousness by faith. At several levels, initially you have to believe that Jesus has the righteous character, right? That he died for you and that he intercedes for you and all of that. And he's the life giver. And then by faith, you're willing to unite your will with his, to surrender yourself to him, to allow him to impart his righteousness to you. So the marriage is the union of humanity with divinity. Divinity. And the Son is Jesus in the parable. The wedding takes place in the most holy place. As Christ finishes his work of investigation, the the, uh, antitypical day of atonement, then his kingdom is numbered. See, he knows who are his before he comes. Before he stands up and says, it is finished and the plagues fall, he already knows his kingdom is numbered. So all of this is taking place now. They have accepted the invitation. They have the garments of the righteousness of Jesus. And then the second invitation given by God to his people, uh, and the first invitation of this is the first invitation of the parable. So um, that's talking about verse 3. "...and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come." So you have to be thinking Old Testament. Okay, the prophets gave the initial invitation, and in verse 3 we see that they would would not come. Rejection of the gospel message is there in verse 5. They made light of the message. They had no regard for it. Uh, They went their way. They were involved in their own worldly concerns." And and these are the same things we have to be mindful of. We can get caught up in the concerns that we have. Most people have worldly concerns, right? You have bills and you have family and you have different things you have to be concerned with. But they cannot take the place of what is most important. I don't know if I ever told you this, but when we were in in New Hampshire, um, I remember watching the news and they took... A microphone and they stuck it under the chin of a guy put a camera on him he lived under a bridge in manchester down by the merrimack river and boy did that guy love jesus and he couldn't stop talking about jesus and how great he was and he lived under a bridge and he was so happy about jesus he accepted that invitation. It meant so much to him that worldly concerns and pursuits took a second place. And he, he reasoned to himself if this is my end home, if this is where I end up being till I die or till the Lord comes, it's fine with me. I have Jesus. It was powerful. I've, it was a long time ago, and I, I still remember it. I could still picture his face. He didn't make light of the gospel message. He accepted it. He put the worldly things, anything that would get in the way, aside. So remember, in order to go to the wedding, there's some things that you have to set aside. And then history recognizes verse 7, the destruction of Jerusalem by the legions of the Roman armies. Now, notice in verse 8 that the appointed time for the feast had passed, but the feast is still ready for the guests to take part. And, you know, you could, you, could uh, you know, couple that with quite a few things. We know that Jesus has wanted to come uh, more than once before now. But it's still available. Feast is still available. It has, it's not too late. And remember, anciently, wedding feasts lasted for days. Honeymoons lasted for about a year. I don't know if you knew that, but they did. And I'm sure they weren't just hanging around the house. They they were getting on with their lives. But it was a special time, you know, for bride and groom. All right, let's go to uh, Revelation 14. I just want to read two verses, uh, 6 and 7. Gospel goes to the Gentiles in verse 9 of this parable. But let's look at a practical, antitypical application for our time. Revelation fourteen six, And I saw another angel, an angel is a messenger, fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So <clears throat> again, you see this message, this gospel message is going to go out. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Now, we're the messengers here in verse six. The everlasting gospel is described in verse seven. And this message is going to the whole world. And and we're, 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 we're part of that work. We're part of that work. We have to be part of that work. So you see the gospel goes to the Gentiles in AD 34 after the stoning of Stephen. And here in the last days, we take these verses and we say same thing. It has been rejected. We are going to take it to the rest of the world. And, and don't get discouraged if you meet with rejection. It happens. Ask our Bible worker. Ask the folks in our church that do Bible work. There's several of them here today. You know, it's I think the last statistic is you're going to have to study with 12 people before one person accepts it completely. So don't get discouraged. It's a witness to all nations and then the end will come. It's not a conversion of all nations. It's a witness to all nations, right? So in verse 10 of. uh, Actually, let's go to Matthew 24. And just look at verse 14. Matthew twenty four fourteen. We just talked about it, but I want to read it. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. It's a great commission. You go to Revelation 18, verse 1. You see the loud cry. You see the latter rain of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then in verse 4 of Revelation 18, you see the call to come out of Babylon. Beautiful stuff. It all fits together so nicely. So the investigative judgment, if a person is void of the righteousness of Jesus, then their garments are said to be... Stained or non existent. The shame of their nakedness is exposed. Revelation describes it that way. But remember, the king is the one who provides the garments. So important. Verse 13 of Matthew 22. Verse 13 of Matthew 22. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, this is speaking now of the second coming of Jesus and the lost. This is the experience of those who have rejected the gospel invitation. And I love verse 14 because for many are called but few are chosen and actually all are called. Amen. But few are chosen because all are called, but few are chosen. We see that example in the parable, right? Because if if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus, you won't be chosen as part of God's kingdom. But all are called. The Lord doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And, you know, we could spend a lot of time on on this this parable and, and Luke chapter 14 as well. But I think we've we've dissected it pretty well and we can see the Lord has invited us and we have already by being here, we've already accepted the invitation. The question is, will we make preparation? Because the reminder has come, you know, Jesus is in the most holy place. He is investigating now. He's looking, uh, looking at our characters. Will we make preparation? That's the question. That's your decision. I invite you to to kneel if you're able. Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you that you have given us another day to make another decision for Jesus. And we recognize, Father, that time is short, that we do need the righteous garments of Christ, his righteousness. We need our characters uh, to be changed into his likeness. We we desire that. And so, Father, help us to lay aside anything and everything that prevents that from happening. May uh, you increase our faith. Uh, We believe, help our unbelief. Uh, Bring us to a place, Father, where it becomes the most important thing. Um, that we are united with Jesus, cooperating with him in the work that he's doing in our hearts. And then we can be faithful, effective servants in these last days, going out into the world uh, with a boldness and a power and the glory of Jesus as we share the good news because it's real to us. There'll be great success. We're going to see Great things happen. I pray that for each person here. You know each heart, Lord. You know the work that needs to be done in our hearts. And we give it to you right now. Help us to give it to you every day uh, so that you can continue to do the work that needs to be done. Um, Bless each family represented. Thank you for bringing everyone here today. Bless those that are watching uh, the live stream. Uh, May they feel a, a special blessing today as well. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.